forgot yours, just go ahead and grab it. We're still in uh, module one, where we're talking about kingdom identity. Okay, but before we jump into that, the Lord just laid something on my heart that I want to bless you with tonight uh, as we get ready. And as we jump into that, amen. amen. All right, like I say, I'm excited about what God is doing. Uh, he has a great plan for us, a great vision uh, about where, for where we're going. And I believe that uh, this is only the beginning. Okay? So tonight, I want to start off in Luke 19. Right? Luke 19, and I'm going to be reading uh, from the King James Version. Okay? Luke 19, beginning uh, at verse 11. Beginning at verse 11. Okay? So if you're there... Luke 19, beginning at verse 11. If you're there, just say amen. If you're not there yet, say wait a minute. All right, all right. Yeah, we're going to jump in it tonight. I'm just, I really just, the Lord put a word on my heart tonight just to really challenge you. And it, it's actually part and parcel of the lesson uh, that we're doing tonight, that we're working on, uh, working our way through as far as kingdom, identity. But I think I want to backtrack tonight just a little bit and talk about, uh, uh, I think we need to define what the kingdom is. You know, even as we, we talk about kingdom identity, kingdom authority, kingdom responsibility, those are the three different parts of this series, okay? Uh, I'd like to backtrack just a little bit and define a few things for you, just define some terms, and then we'll jump right into it, okay? So if you got Luke 19, beginning at verse 11, I'm going to read it in your hearing, and I'm reading from the KJV. There's a reason I'm reading from the KJV, because I like the way it's rendered in uh, verse 13, okay? And I'm going to tell you why, okay? And as they heard these things, he added and spoke a parable. This is talking about Jesus now, okay? He's talking to his disciples and people that were following him along the way as they're traveling uh, from one part of the city to another, and they're heading toward Jerusalem, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Okay? So they thought that the kingdom of God, now that Jesus is here, you know, surely uh, the kingdom of God is going to appear. Uh, really, their thinking process was Jesus as the Messiah, be a military, a political, uh, an economic, and a spiritual leader. And it's going to be an actual revolution, okay, where God was going to intervene and take over the Roman Empire and the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, God's rule through the Messiah was going to be established and Jerusalem was going to be the headquarter. And God was going to rescue Israel at the time, the Jewish people, uh, from the rule of the Roman Empire. And how he was going to do it, they didn't care as long as it happened and that that prophetic word came to pass, okay? But what, there are a lot of things they didn't understand about the kingdom of God and about what that prophecy meant and about the length of time and the different periods that that prophecy were covered, all right? So they were certain that now that the Messiah is here, if this is the Messiah, he's proven himself to be the, to be the Messiah, at least by the miracles that he's performed. You know, we know that there is something different about Jesus. He's not just another prophet. He's just not another moral teacher. You know, this guy is raising the dead. You know, he's healing the sick. He's performing miracles. And there are certain miracles that are being uh, performed that are distinctive miracles that we've never seen before. Okay? And by virtue of these miracles, uh, it validates that there's something to this Christ that he calls himself the Messiah, okay? So, verse 11, as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, okay? Well, here's the parable. A certain noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Somebody say occupy. Okay. But his citizens hated him 
and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money and he, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Okay? Then came the first saying, Lord, the pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, uh, thou good uh, servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, the pound uh, thou hath given me gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. Are you with me? And another came saying, Lord, behold, there is uh, thy pound which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I fear thee because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down. See, K K KJV would trip you up, right? All the layest and takest, okay? And reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, and taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then givest thou, thou my money unto the bank? Say, so why didn't you give my money to the bank? That at my coming I might have required my own with usury. Okay, usury means with interest. Isn't that an interesting word for interest? <laughs> in the KJV, usury. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Interesting. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto the Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath uh, shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which would not that I should ring over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Okay, so King James gives you all the hither and the this, that. But I want to I zero in on verse 13, okay? Verse 12 says, He said, A certain noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered to them ten pounds. So that means he got ten servants, and he gave them 10 pounds, so a pound each, okay? A pound each, uh, which another translation said minas, okay? Uh, a mina is, is a one day, is a full day's wage, okay? All right? So well, if you made what? Uh, say if you made 10 bucks an hour and you work eight hours a day, that's what, 80 bucks, okay? So that's a full day's wage, okay? So that's what the pound is, that's what a mina is, okay? And he said unto them, occupy till I come. Somebody said, occupy till I come. The, re the, re the reason I wanted to read this passage of scripture because, you know, there is something that's been going on in the body of Christ of late that really concerns me, okay? And I know we've talked about it before, that we've, we've preached on it before, but it seems like we're raising a generation of Christians, and the word that I used in the past uh, was apathetic, okay? A generation of apathetic Christians, and the difference between apathy and apostasy is apostasy is a falling away, okay? Uh, if you say we have apostasy that's taking place in the church today, that means a lot of people are falling away. They're denying their faith, okay? They're relinquishing and giving up their faith for whatever else, whether it's because of skepticism, whether it's because they don't believe it anymore, whatever the case may be, apostasy is happening. But I believe an even more dangerous, an even more dangerous phenomenon than apostasy is apathy, okay? And what apathy is, all right, and we, we, we're going to pause it right here, seem like, <laughs> all right? And what, what, what apathy is, amen? Amen, we bless God, we love the kids. <laughs> But they make our heart beat faster every now and then. All right? But what apathy is, apathy is, oh, it's not, I'm not going to leave the church. I'm not leaving the church or I'm not denying my faith or anything. I'm just going to be there, but I'm just going to be nonchalant. You know, I'm just going to be, I'm not hot, I'm not cold, I'm just lukewarm. That's what the Bible called being lukewarm, just apathetic, you know, not involved, 
you know, if I'm doing anything in the church or doing anything for God, I'm barely doing anything. My personal life is more important uh, than the time that I give to God, than the time I spend uh, with God. Uh, my, 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 per my spending time with my friends, you know, and hanging out and just being me, you know. So basically, I'm not going to prioritize the things of God, okay? I don't prioritize the things of God. It's just it's something that we did when we were growing up. We just went to church. Our parents made us go to church or whatever. Now that I'm an, I am an adult and I can uh, think for myself, right, and I can make my own decisions, you know, I want to have a spiritual aspect to my life, but I don't want to be religious, so to speak, is what a lot of people say. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want anyone to tell me what to do, okay? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. I'm going to run my own life. I'm the captain of my own ship. Are you with me? And so that leads to apathy. And so things start to happen in society, okay? that uh, demands a Christian response in the society in which we live, but uh, because we have such an apathetic uh, breed of Christians now, we just don't care. We just, we just allow life to happen to us, okay? We're just existing. So whatever is happening in politics, whatever is happening in the culture, whatever is happening around the world, that's none of our business. You know, uh, we're going to leave politics to politics. Even when we speak on the issue, we don't speak on it from a Christian perspective. Are you with me? So we agree with all this worldly and conventional wisdom and what people are saying in the world. And because we're trying not to rock the boat, right? Do you, you ever find yourself in the workplace or, or somewhere in society or in culture where people are talking? And you know the, the stuff they're talking about is off, okay? You know what they're talking about is wrong. You know what they're talking about doesn't make any sense, okay? You know it's ungodly, okay? You know it has nothing to do with uh, uh, what the Word of God says. And you know right from wrong. You know they're, they're way off on left field, okay? But you just sit there, okay, and you let it happen. You just sit there and you just let it run. And you don't say anything. You don't weigh in. You don't give your Christian perspective. Okay, you don't say, uh, well, I hear what you're saying, but this is what the word of God says. Because you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to be the odd, you know, the odd one out, you know. Or you don't want to be the oddball. You don't want to be called the holy roller or whatever the case may be. All right? So basically what we're going to do right now before we jump right into it, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to have you pause that for me. We're going to take a quick break. Okay, if you can pause the recording as well. And you go ahead and pause. Uh, what's going on there, and we're going to take a quick break, and was going away to a faraway country to be crowned, to be coronated as king, okay, to gain a kingdom. And after getting that kingdom, he was going to come back to take possession of his subjects, all right? And he called some of his servants, and he gave to each of them a pound. He gave them money. He said, now do business until I come. Occupy until I come. The reason I bring that passage of scripture and just the little background that I just give you is because, like I said, we live in a, in a time and in a culture where uh, it seems like there's a generation of Christians that, uh, and the word I, I want to use, I can't use that word here, but the word I, I really want to use for it is uh, spiritual weaklings is the word I want to use. We've raised a generation of spiritual weaklings where every little thing, are you listening to me? Where every little thing that comes our way, every little trouble, every little tribulation, every little attack, we scream and we cry about. And we behave and act as though we're not Christians. We're not believers. As though we don't understand that God has given us the power and the authority over this thing. Okay? So he said, the scripture said this man is going, the noble man is going away to, and this is a parable about Jesus. Jesus is already talking about himself, okay? This is a parable about the kingdom. Because in his first coming, okay, the scripture says there's a lot of places in the Bible where it says that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within your grasp. So in his first coming, in the first advent 
of the Christ. He brought the kingdom nearer to us, but the kingdom is not fully here. Okay? This is what theologians call at hand, but not yet. Somebody say at hand, but not yet. Okay? It is within your grasp, but it's not yet fully here. Okay? So he brought the kingdom nearer. And he gave us access and opened the door for us to be able to access and enter into the kingdom of God. Are you listening to me? And for us to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God now, even though the kingdom of God is not fully here. Because the kingdom of God will be fully here in his second coming when Christ will return to consummate all of history. To close down and shut down all of history. Because if you read in Luke 4.18... It says that uh, Jesus gives his mission statement after he comes out of the wilderness, okay? And he comes out of the wilderness being tempted 40 days and 40 nights, and he passes the test, and the scripture says that he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. And once he returns in the power of the Holy Spirit, he goes to the synagogue as was his custom, okay, on the Sabbath, and it is handed to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he begins to read from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and he's reading about himself. And he said that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to mend the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That was your homework last week, or the week before, verse 19. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What is Christ saying? He's saying this is the acceptable year. This is the era. I'm opening up a new era of God's favor toward humanity. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the acceptable time for God's favor to be revealed to humanity. But here's the kicker. This window in time, this window of opportunity, this dispensation that we call grace, the dispensation of grace, where God's grace is poured out abundantly to all men, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not going to last forever. He says, it's a window in time. It's a window that I've opened up. It's an era. It's called the era of grace that I've opened up in time. And during this period, however long it is, nobody knows how long it is. And anybody who tries to tell you that from prophecy, they know how long it is, that is not the truth. Okay. Now we know prophetically, according to the book of Revelation, the signs and the things to look for that uh, his second coming and the consummation of everything is near. But to, for someone to tell you the specific date and time and when it's going to happen and who is Antichrist and this person bears the number 666 and this, is, this must be the Antichrist. Oh, my God. He looked like it. You know, it's a lie. Don't follow those Facebook conspiracy theorists and all that stuff. Don't let anybody mislead you, okay? He said in the last day, they're going to say, oh, come and see, uh, come to the wilderness. He's in the wilderness. He said, that's not him. Don't follow them. Believe and listen to what the Word of God says, okay? The signs that you're supposed to look for in the Word of God are clear, but the Word of God never gives a, a specific date and time and a specific time in history when to expect. That's why he said, be ready. Ah, okay, but there is a window in time, an era, this era, this dispensation of grace. That's what he meant in verse 19 when he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to do all this. He said, and to preach or to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Basically, he's saying this is the year of Jubilee. This is the acceptable year of God's favor. Okay, and what happens in Jubilee? In Jubilee, all of your debts are forgiven. What happens in grace? All of your debts are forgiven. Okay, so it's a period of Jubilee. It's a period of rejoicing. He said, but this window in time, this window of grace, this dispensation of grace, there's coming a point where it's going to be closed forever. So if you don't take the opportunity now, and give your life to God while grace is available, and you miss that opportunity, when that window in time is closed, when that era of grace is closed, it's over. For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after death the judgment, and there will be a final judgment. 
when Christ will come to reclaim. When, that's why uh, the, the church is called the bride of Christ. So those who have given their life to Christ, who have committed to him, you become a member of the church. Not I'm not talking about the local church. I'm talking about the church universal because the church means the body of Christ, right? So he will come to reclaim his church. He will come to reclaim and to take those who are redeemed back with him. But it's going to be at the end of the era of grace, okay? He said, but in the meantime, and we'll come to verse 13 now. He said, in the meantime, occupy. Are you with me? He said, occupy until I come. What is the nature of an occupation? Think about it. You've heard about the war in Iraq and uh, U.S. troops going to Iraq and Mosul and different places, Afghanistan, around the world, and it's an occupation of force. Because when you go into someone else's land, when you go into a foreign land, into a foreign country as a military force, and you're going to enforce and impose order, Okay, it's an occupation. That's where you hear a lot of people who are from that places, a lot of the ones especially who are anti-American, okay, or anti-U.S., they, they call it the U.S. occupation of force. That's the language they use. They say the occupiers, the U.S. is occupying, okay? But what is the nature of occupation? Here it is. You're never going to occupy without opposition. <laughs> You're never going to occupy without resistance. He said, I'm going to gain a kingdom, okay? Because he's come. This is why Jesus came the first time, okay? He came the first time to take care of the problem of sin and rebellion. Because when God created you and me, he created us in perfection. But sin entered the picture, and when Adam and Eve sinned, it separated us from God, Okay? But sin equals rebellion. So God wanted to give us grace. But before he could give us grace, he had to take care of the problem of rebellion. You get what I'm saying? So what he did in order to take care of the problem of rebellion, because God is a just God, if God didn't punish sin, you and I would call him unjust. So because of God's justice and his holiness, he couldn't overlook sin. But he had a solution for it. Are you with me? And his solution was... The penalty for sin, the consequences for sin, will be paid because it has to be paid so that my, my holiness and my justice can be satisfied, okay? But at the same time, I want to give grace. So how am I going to do this? So he wrapped himself in flesh. Are you listening? Because he was the only one qualified, he was the only one qualified to pay the consequences, to pay our debt for sin, okay? No one else is qualified because it had to be a pure blood. And every human being that ever walked the face of the earth, our blood had been contaminated by sin. You know why? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, you and I were in seed form in Adam. So every other seed that ever came from Adam had sinned along with Adam. Are you with me? So he said, but I have to take care of the problem of rebellion. So how is he going to take care of this problem of rebellion? He sent Christ to live the perfect, listen to this, he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. See, a lot of times we focus on his dying and what his dying and, and, and resurrection means. But we forget that before he died, for three and a half years, he walked the face of the earth living a life that was perfect. A life of no sin. Basically, he was modeling what it means to live a life of no sin. Okay? So he had to live the life we couldn't live, and then he had to die the death we couldn't die because our blood didn't qualify to appease God's justice. Are you with me? And then he rose from the dead with all power in his hand, and that's what qualified him now to be seated at the right hand of God, okay, forever making intercession for you and me. And so, all of that activity opened up a new era, which we call the era of grace. Because before Christ did that, there was a priestly class that had to mediate between you and me and God. Are you with me? And if that priest, once a year, 
the priest went before God. The high priest, he had to sacrifice animals and do all kind of ritualistic thing to appease God. And then the people's sin was only covered for one year. And there was no guarantee. If you didn't, if you weren't under that covenant, the covenant that God had with his people, with the nation of Israel, and, and, and through the, the, the system of sacrifices instituted to overlook the sin, and you were under any other nation, and there was no guarantee that you were going to be saved, that when you die, you were going to see God. Okay? No guarantee. And so, when Christ came, Christ opened it up for everybody. He said, whosoever believe in me shall be saved. You no longer have to go through the priestly class. You no longer have to go through the sacrifices. You can come boldly. You can come directly to God. You can come right into my throne room in the name of Jesus. Okay? Does that mean you're never going to sin again? No. You and I, there's a sin nature that we're still battling every day. That's what Paul meant in Romans uh, 7 when he said, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil I would not, that I do. Because whenever I try to do good, evil is present with me. He said, I'm trying to reconcile. He said, what's going on? He said, why is sin always close to me and always present? He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Okay, he couldn't, it's called the believer struggle. Romans 14, 7 through 14, he's, he's struggling, okay? He's wondering why, what's going on here, okay? So that, what that means is you're still going to stump your toe. You're still going to sin. You're still going to have shortcomings. You're still going to disappoint yourself. You're going to disappoint your spouse. You're going to disappoint God. You're going to disappoint your parents, okay? But God has made provision for that. Are you with me? That's why you don't go to God in your own name. You go in Jesus' name because it is his name that has the power because he's the one who lived the perfect life. He's the one who provided the perfect blood. He's the one who died the perfect death. And he's the one who rose from the dead with all power in his hand. That's what the scripture means when it says in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Are you with me? It is in Christ that you live, you move, and you have your being. That's when when you go to God, you go in his name. That's why when the seven sons of Sceva said they were going to cast out demons because they saw the disciples casting out demons and they said, we're going to just do what the disciples do. Okay? And they went out to cast out a demon and this man possessed of a demon, a strength came upon me and he beat all seven of them and naked them and stripped them of their clothes. And the, the scripture says they ran out of the house naked. But do you know what the demon said to them before he beat them up? He said, I'm just going to give you a little lesson and then I'm going to beat you all up. Okay? He said, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? <laughs> you know? He said, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? I don't know you. you your name is not, does, doesn't ring a bell. Your name is not a feared name in the kingdom of darkness. We all know you. You haven't done anything yet. You don't even have halfway of an anointing. You don't just see people doing this stuff and you go do it. Has God called you? Has he anointed you? Has he appointed you? Are you qualified? What qualifies you? You ain't even given your life to Jesus yet. And you're going to cast out demons. Anyways. And so he beat him up. He beat him up. And say, I don't know you, but just so you can remember this experience, I'm going to beat you up and strip you. <laughs> All right. He could have just said, I don't know you. I'm not coming out. But he said, I'm going I'm to whoop you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, and you're going to remember. Okay. So occupy, he says, occupy till I come. Say, so in the meantime, I need you to occupy. And because you're occupying, there's going to be opposition. Because an occupation means that you're taking territory that someone doesn't want you to take. An occupation means that you are enforcing and exerting yourself, okay, or the will of God. You're enforcing the will of God in situations where people don't want you or entities or powers don't want you to exert and enforce the will of God. So there's going to be resistance. There's going to be opposition. 
Because you are an occupying force. Okay? In Luke 10, he said, all power. He said, behold, all power on earth and in heaven has been given unto me. He said, and to you, I give this power also, that you may tread over snakes and over scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy. And nothing, somebody say nothing, shall by any means hurt you. Somebody say no thing shall by any means hurt you. He said nothing. He said you are an occupying force. He said from the days of John the Baptist, okay, this is, uh, I believe, Matthew 11. He said from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. And the violent does what? Take it by force. Occupy. Okay? Which means that from the, day, from the moment that John came on the scene as a forerunner of Christ and began to announce, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent because the kingdom of God is nearer than it's ever been. And you now have an opportunity, you now have an opportunity to be able to experience and enjoy the kingdom of God. Okay? You are about to be able to partake in the kingdom of God. Okay, so you need to repent, okay? You need to put away your evil ways and you need to turn your heart toward God because he's now giving you an opportunity to be able to enter his kingdom and to be able to partake of his kingdom. The kingdom of God is nearer to you than it's ever been, okay? Now somebody say, what is the kingdom of God then? What do you mean when you say the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a simple definition. It's the comprehensive rule of God. The kingdom of God is simply God's rule over everything. Okay? It's a system under which God is king and he is the ruler. And when you come under that system, you're coming under a God system. Are you listening to me? That means you're under a different system than the worldly system. That's what the scripture means when it says that you are in the world but not of the world. Because you are part of a different kingdom. You are in a kingdom system. And the way the kingdom operates is different than how the world operates. Are you with me? Okay, the, the kingdom operates on a different... In fact, the kingdom is often counterintuitive. <laughs> that means it's an upside-down kingdom. The word says this, the kingdom says this. I know I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he said they went before a financial counselor. They're trying to buy a house. They're trying to get their finances right. And she was looking at the finances, and she said, I keep seeing 10% that you guys are giving somewhere. You know, uh, she, said, she said, I go through the whole thing. I go through your finances, and I keep seeing this, one, this 10%. What's up with this 10%? She said, for some reason, this 10% you're giving away, you know, and it seemed like it's to the same place consistently. I don't know what you got going on. And, you know, she wasn't a believer, obviously. She said, but this 10% you're giving away, if you wasn't giving this 10% away, you'll have more money to work with each month, and you could probably buy a house sooner and everything. So this 10% is a problem. We need to fix that. So the couple looked at her and said, ain't no fixing to be done. <laughs> she said, what do you mean? They say, we live a life that is committed to God, and we are people of the kingdom. And according to kingdom principle, 10% of everything that comes into our household, of our income, we give away for the work of the ministry. She's like, why do you do that? <laughs> I mean, she was completely clueless. Okay? To her, it was counterintuitive. Okay? Now, this couple I'm talking about, they were able to get the finances right. The house they were able to buy, they got more house for the money that it will blow your mind what God did on their behalf because they honor him. You get what I'm saying? So it's a counterintuitive. So the kingdom have all these principles and tell you to do all these things, and you're like, man, in, in, in this system, in this world system that we live in, in this economic system, it doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense. It's kingdom. <laughs> it's supposed to be kingdom. And the way the kingdom operates is different than how the world operates. It's an upside-down kingdom. Okay? You say, well, if, my, if your neighbor wrong you, do this, 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 take that. He said, no. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, the two greatest commandments, love God, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength, and love, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto your neighbor as you will have them do unto you. You're like, wow. Do you know that a lot of the stuff Jesus was talking about in his day was groundbreaking? Did you know that? Uh, a, a, a Pharisee came to Jesus and said, he said, if a man tells me, he said, according to Jewish law, okay, if a non-Jew, if, if a Roman came to you and was t carrying a load and he stopped you as a Jew and said, I need you to help me carry this load a certain distance, you couldn't say no. By law, you had to carry it at least two miles. Okay, you had to carry at least two miles, and then by law, you could drop it. Say, the two miles that the law required, and I can drop it. So the king of Jesus said, if a man asked me to carry him, he said, Jesus spoke the parable. He said, if he asks you to take you two, take him three. What? <laughs> Do you know how these people have tortured us? Do you know what they've done to us? He said, no, take him an extra mile. So take him an extra. If he asks you to take you two, take him three. If he asks you for one, take him two. So that's how the kingdom works. It's an upside-down kingdom. Okay? It doesn't work like the world system. That's what makes it different. Okay? So a lot of you are saying, now, now what is the kingdom of God? Now, the whole thing I'm talking about is occupying. Okay? In the kingdom system, God said, occupy till I come. Do business till I come. Say, I'm coming again, and I'm going to wrap this whole thing up. I'm going to consummate. All of history, I'm going to consummate the whole kingdom. You'll be back in your rightful place. You'll be in your glorified body. And there's all these great things that he says, right? He said, but in the meantime, you need to occupy. Now, I've given you everything you need because the scripture says his divine power has given us all things that pertains to what? Life and godliness. His divine power has given us all things that pertains to life and godliness. Everything, everything you need to make it in life, he's given to you. Everything you need to live a godly life, he's given it to you. He said, there is no excuse. He said, by my divine power, I've already given, I've empowered you and given you everything you need. And as an occupant, you are a soldier of Christ. As an occupying force, there is going to be opposition. You're going to have a bad day. You're going to have resistance. There are going to be forces, demonic forces, demonic powers that are resisting you. Why? Because you are occupying. And by occupying, because let me tell you, there is no way the U.S. Army is going to occupy a region, okay, whether it be in Iraq, Afghanistan, wherever in the world that we send troops. And the values, listen to me, the values of the country they represent not be imposed upon that region. <laughs> Are you listening to me? So if they're going to occupy a region for a period of time, whatever values they represent, whatever value system they represent for that period of time, that value system is imposed on that region. Whether it's the rule of law, are you listening? Whether it's freedom of speech, whether it's freedom of assembly, that value system will be imposed during the occupation. So why is the enemy resisting you so much? Why is he opposing you so much? Because when you are occupying as a kingdom representative, you are bringing kingdom values. Are you with me? And he doesn't want kingdom values to be represented in the workplace. He doesn't want kingdom values to be represented uh, on, in your daily life. He doesn't want kingdom values to be represented at school. What does he want represented at school? You can't pray here. Oh, any teacher or anyone in authority can take your 14-year-old daughter uh, for an abortion and don't even have to tell you. And you may not even find out till she's 25. That's what he wants represented in the school. Are you with me? But when you're occupying, when God said occupy, he said enforce my will. <laughs> enforce the kingdom value system. Guess what? You're going to meet opposition. 
You're going to meet personal opposition. They're going to attack you personally. The enemy is going to come against you personally. So you might as well either decide. So here's the thing, right? <laughs> you got to decide that you, if you're not going to be for God, okay, which at this point it seems like most of us in this room don't have a choice. <laughs> All right? Because once God has put the hook in your mouth, he said, he who puts his hand to the ply and turns his back is not worthy to enter the kingdom of God. So there's no turning back. There's no going back. So if you're going to be for God, get this straight. You are an occupying force. You're going to be resistant. You're going to be opposed. That means the enemy is going to attack your personal life. He's going to attack your finances. He's going to attack you in every which way he can. Okay? So you might as well hold your ground. And begin to understand the authority and the power that God has given you. Because he said, behold, all power in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And I now give it to you. <laughs> that whatsoever. Okay. He said in another place to Peter, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, whatsoever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatsoever you permit will be permitted so if you permit homosexuality and homosexual marriage to be the order of the day when you're supposed to be occupying that's what will be permitted because you have the power to say no he said I've given you the power I've given you what you need if you permit the enemy to make a show of you and to get in your life and to just scatter your life and to just wreak havoc in your life and to cause you to just be down and under and always fighting. And, and that's what you've permitted. You get what I mean? Yeah. He said, if you, if you permit promiscuity in your life, if you open the door to certain things in your marriage, man, that's what you've permitted. Are you with me? Yes, sir. See, I've given you the power that whatsoever you bind, whatsoever you forbid, that if you put your foot down and you say, I forbid this, you will no longer have a place and you will no longer have free ring in my house or in my marriage or in my life. He said, well, it's, from, it's backed up in heaven. You now just have to hold your ground. You are an occupying for his occupy this thing, man. <laughs> you know, and quit. Stop whining. You know, and stop crying. And stop crying to God and telling me to come in. He said, I've given you the power. You take authority. You take control. You occupy. Are you with me? Amen. All right? And so that's, that's what God is saying. That's what he said. Occupy. This is an occupation. It's a war. Okay? He said, until I come. Because when I come, I'm coming. And when I come, you're going to have to give account of what I've given you. You're not going to come to me and say, you know, Lord, I need, <laughs> you know what you give me? It was so hard. You know, life just got so hard. And I didn't do nothing with it. He said, okay, then give it back. Let's give it to this guy who did something with it. <laughs> you hear me? Now, that parable, there, it has a sister parable where he talked about the parable of the talents. Okay? In the parable of the talents, he gave them different amounts, different talents. Okay? In this one, he gave them the same. So what does that mean? The, the two parables work in hand. In the parable of the talent, God is saying, I've given all of you different measure of gifts. Your gift and your talent, your ability is not going to be the same. But you work with what you have. Come on. <laughs> Don't worry that I give this guy five and I give you ten. That's not the point. The point is, what did you do with the five I give you? You're not going to be T.D. Jakes. I give T.D. Jakes the measure of gift and talent according to my purpose and my calling for him. 
guess what? He will have to give account for that measure of gift and talent that I give him. So if I give you two and give this guy three, guess what? This guy has to give account for three. You only got two to give account for. So don't worry. Yeah, don't worry about what the other guy has. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? Don't worry about what the other guy has. Don't worry about this person can pray and they seem to have a measure of give their prayer. Yeah. He said, if this person, he said, to one I've given this, to one I've given that. You get what I'm saying? Okay, you think about the five-fold ministry. Okay? The five-fold ministry, the way you know the five-fold ministry is put, everybody put your five fingers. I'm going to teach you that today. Okay? So this, your thumb is the apostle. Okay? The reason is the apostle because the apostle touches everything. Are you with me? So the apostle, prophet, that's the finger. The prophet points. He declares. Okay? So prophet, evangelist, the evangelist stands tall. Are you with me? Pastor. The pastor is married to the church. Teacher. The teacher, he gets in every little crevice and every little nuance and he mixes and he breaks it down for you. Are you with me? So he say, I've given on to some apostle, pastor, a prophet, teacher. Okay? It's different measures and different kinds of gaze. Don't worry about it. I've given some talent. Some of you can run. Some of you are good at football. Some of you are good at gadgets, electronics, uh, music, different things. Don't worry about what the other guy is good at. You just do you. Because <laughs> you're going to have to give an account for you, for what I give you. You're going to have to give account for your marriage. You're going to have to give account for your kids. Don't worry about anybody else. You worry about what you're doing. What are you a good steward of what I've given you? So it's different measure of gifts. Now, in the parable of the pounds, here's the, beauty thing, here's the beautiful thing about it. He said, it's different gifts and different measures, but equal opportunity. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So in the pounds, he gave them the same, equal opportunity. In the talents, he gave them different. That means you have different measures and different gifts, but you all have the same access to the same God. So why you worry about the other guy? Why you worry about this and that? You have the same access. He gave each of them one pound. Same access. Equal opportunity to the same God. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, same, same access, same opportunity to the same God. So here's the kingdom of God, and I'm going to close with this, okay? The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's what Goldsworthy tells us. Remember, one of the books we're going to be using this series is Grim Goldsworthy, Gospel and Kingdom. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. How do I know that? Eden was a microcosm of the kingdom, okay? So when God, let me tell you, this will help you. God's entire purpose from the beginning of creation until now, it hasn't changed. All God always wanted to do was to bring his people, okay, to his kingdom. That's all. He told Pharaoh, he said, let my people go so they can worship me. He said, why are, you, why are you standing in the way? All I want is for you to release my son Israel, my people, so they can go into the wilderness so they can worship me. This is what I've always wanted from the beginning. This is what I want now. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. Listen to me. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve represents who? God's people. Eden represents where? God's place. The prohibition against the fruit, not eating of the fruit of knowledge of good or evil represents God's rule. God is simply saying, I want my people in my place living under my rule, okay, and my sovereignty. 
Because when you live under God's rule and under God's sovereignty, you don't get to question him. <laughs> Here's the issue. The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? You know what God was saying to Adam and Eve? He was saying, you can partake of any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are not to partake. He was saying to them, you are not to be a partaker in the deciding of what is permissible and what is forbidden. <laughs> are you with me? He said, you, you, have, you have access to everything, but you got to understand that I'm sovereign. I'm God. You do not have permission to be a partaker in the deciding, in the deciding, I want you to get that, of what is permissible and what is not. And what man has always wondered from the beginning, we want to decide what is permissible and what is not. And God is saying, that's reserved for me. I created Adam and Eve, man and woman. The man is for the woman, the woman is for the man. But you say, oh no, we want Adam and Steve. You want to decide what is permissible and what is not. And I've already said it's forbidden. That's what the, the, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, that's all he was saying. He said, you are not to be a partaker in the deciding of what is permissible and what is not. You don't get to vote. I tell you what is permissible and what is not. Does that mean you don't have free will? You still have free will. Does that mean I didn't create the universe as an open system where your, your actions can impact this open system? Yes, it can. But when it comes to the ultimate things of God, to the sovereign things of God, to the covenant things of God, you are not, you don't have permission. I never give you permission to be a particular in the deciding of what is permissible and what is forbidden. That's reserved for God. So you can't tell me it is permissible for men to be with men. You don't have a right to decide that. Anyways. <laughs> Father, we bless you and thank you for tonight. We thank you that your word is yes and amen, that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword to the dividing asunder of bone and marrow, flesh and spirit, Lord. We thank you, Lord, tonight that as we worship you, as your word has gone forth, that you will bless us, that you will cause it to take root in our hearts, that, Father God, we will be strengthened, we will be empowered, we will be delivered, we will be set free, and we will go forth and do your will according to your purpose. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, amen. amen. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Family counseling, marriage counseling. Oh, yeah. <laughs>